such a verbal society. And so it is um, a relief for our participants, at least we think that it is, that you can have this connection and this communication with this animal and you don't have to talk. You know, that nonverbal communication is so accepted by the horses that um, it relieves the person living with dementia from having to perform. And, and I think there's some real value to that. It's so hard for us to just sit in silence or not expect a verbal response from somebody. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. With me today is Connected Horse. They were started in 2015. They were founded as a way to offer opportunities and understanding of human-animal connections for people living with early-stage dementia and their care partners. It focuses on pioneering equine-guided workshops to fulfill its mission. It is also actively involved in research, working with the University of California Davis School of Medicine, Alzheimer's Disease Center, and the School of Veterinary Medicine, the Center for Equine Health to study the effects of its equine-guided activities to further understand and develop programs that benefit everyone involved. So thank you, Nancy and Paula, for joining me today. I'm very excited to learn more about your program. As I mentioned, I learned about you through my Alzheimer's Association support group. So how did you guys, you guys have both been in the industry. Are you also former caregivers for family or are you just workers? Just workers. That sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Professionals in the field. (laughs) There you go. Well, um, this is Paula. I can start off and then and then turn it over to Nancy. Um, you, you're right. We we've been doing this work on a professional level for you know close to 30 years, and I think anyone who's been working for on behalf of older adults knows that you either have the passion for it and it sticks with you, or um, or you leave the industry. And so it clearly has stuck with Nancy and I. And and we met early on in our careers as the co-chairs for the California Assisted Living Association Education Committee and also on their board. So there's this um, passion for us to be practitioners to really put together programs that um, are meaningful and move how we deliver care and services to older adults forward um, and to be educators and to really advocate for um, better ways to work um, with and on behalf of older adults. And so that that our background, and Nancy's a gerontologist by training, and I'm a social worker by training, and so those, you know, educational foundations come, come to us too. But Connected Horse came out of our own desire as we were getting older and um, seeing people in our family and around our professional circle needing more help, um, seeing the stress that caregiving can, can cause people, we were really drawn to wanting to do more and do something that was more creative and out of the box thinking. And so for us, it was really about how do we combine our passion for horses, we both are lucky enough to have horses at our home and have had horses in our most of our adult life. 
um, to combine what we knew as um, horse people with our professional knowledge around how do you keep people connected, how do you have therapeutic exchanges. And so we chose that and did a lot of research around how um, equine-assisted programs have helped other populations and developed this program with the idea that we really wanted it to be evidence-based. So we um, went to Stanford University and we went to the University of California, Davis, to say we want to prove this um, curriculum and this idea. So we spent the last three to four years um, really defining what that curricula is. But now we're ready to take it out into the community, and we've been doing these community-based programs. And we hope it will activate people not only to, to look at our program and to go through our program, but to say, wait a minute, maybe I can think outside of the box and do something that is um, more creative, more connection, less um, traditional that's focused on um, you know, safety in these sort of biomedical models. I love that because dealing with my mom, I am beginning to see, well, and I should say dealing with my mom, dealing with my mom in the community that she lives in, I'm seeing that we need a different method. We, um, I'm hoping to get up to Canada and look at their dementia villages that they, one just opened this spring and one is coming, although it's the one that's planned is very large. So by coming, I don't know if they, they're probably talking 21 yeah. or 22, you know, 2021, 2022. Um, but I, I see a huge need for definitely a different approach. And that was one of the reasons I was interested in, in what you guys were offering. I had just recently had a conversation with my husband. My dad did everything right financially and nothing right when it came to, like, I don't want to say the spiritual caregiving, but the actual mental person-centered caregiving. Right. And we were talking about what how he would handle the stage my mom was in now if he was still living. And I don't think he'd handle it well, because I am very much like my dad was. Mm. And it takes a lot of effort for me to... Just take a deep breath and be slow and don't get frustrated when she puts one shirt on over the other, when we're supposed to be taking right. one off. It's like, you know, I don't know how he would have coped with that. And it got me to thinking about how we need, we need a lot more options in this country and probably I think they do a little bit better worldwide and there's a lot of changes coming. So Explain to me how Connected Horse helps the care partner of the person living with Alzheimer's or dementia learn to communicate with them non-verbally, because that is the basis of the program, correct? We have very specific curricula, as Paula mentioned, that leads people up to steps to feeling more confident and building on the relationships. So we have a dyad model, which is unusual in research, where they usually have just the care partner or just the person living with dementia. We wanted them to be together because they're on this journey together. And so that can be mother, daughter, brother, sister, uh, father, daughter, and husbands and wives and partners. We've had it all. And so whoever is that main person as the care partner is on this journey with that person, regardless of diagnosis. 
The other thing I'd like to mention is that we wanted to do something to activate people early on once we're diagnosing people earlier and earlier and don't have a lot of resources for them. And they want to be active. They don't just want to sit in a support group all the time. You go to support groups, you know, they really want to do things and there's building that camaraderie with others. So we thought that would be wonderful to do it as a pair. I agree. I did have a past guest um, whose name is going to slip my mind because I'm terrible with names, but she has a program up in the Sacramento area called Caregiver Pathways. And it's, it's not similar to you guys in the way of um, it's not, it's social. And she takes the person living with dementia in the early stages and their care partner out into the community for different adventures, like um, going to a horse farm and dealing with the animals. And then maybe, maybe she used the term, um, or the, the analogy, there we go, um, of going to like a shelter for dogs and cats and playing with and brushing and caring for the animals and then maybe going to lunch. So it, it's a way of giving them purpose and outings so that they're not sitting at home just watching TV or whatever people do. Like my mom was in denial, so she withdrew a lot from social activities. And so this is to prevent that kind of thing. So your program sounds like it's even one step beyond that because there's some training and learning involved, which yeah, is I, also I would important. just sort of step back for a second to explain something. People always say to us, well, couldn't we do this with dogs and cats because that's a lot easier than figuring out where we have access to horses. And I do think that that connection and keeping people social and feeling good is really important, but this is the next step. And the reason that horses are so valuable in this therapeutic exchange is that they are prey animals different than a dog or a cat. So in their evolution, They've developed this ability to be really aware of their surroundings. And so um, they act as mirrors. So when, when you come up and you feel calm and relaxed, you'll see the horse mirror that back to you. If you come up and you're feeling nervous and anxious, the horse will mirror that back for you. So it's an, because the horse is for its own sort of evolution of survival picks up on what's going on in their environment, what's around them. So in a very um, subtle and nonverbal way, the horse allows you to see how you're impacting the environment. And then how can you modify what you're doing, modify your behavior, take a deep breath and get in the moment and see what you can do to, to change that behavior. And so we've had um, care partners say, oh, I can learn how to be the calm and chaos. I can, I have some control about how I respond to my husband when he's putting on five shirts, when I really just want to get him out the door to go to the doctor. Um, and, and so that it gives them some power to remember, I've got to see how I'm impacting things and to take a deep breath and just, what am I going to let be and let go? And what am I going to do differently to have a different response? And they get to practice that 
with the horses. And then they get to practice it with each other with the horses. So they can see, we call it the triad then, that the horse comes in and the things that they're doing with the horses allows them to see how they're impacting each other and others. And it just happens. We don't have to teach it. We don't have to point it out. It's just in the in the moment of being with the horses, those kinds of things start to appear in those aha moments for the caregivers start to happen. And those roles of I'm the caregiver in charge and I'm the person with this diagnosis of dementia who has been labeled by society as dependent, those roles start to melt away because the horses don't identify you in those roles. They identify how are you interacting with me and how are we going to work in this environment so that we all feel safe. And that's, that's the beauty of it. So um, it's not pet therapy. It's not about um, just hanging out with somebody who's cute and cuddly. It really is pretty deep therapeutic work. Well, that makes sense. And I've had dogs all my life and I don't see dogs mirroring what you're giving them. I see them being very good at manipulating you to get what they want. <laughs> well, at least that's what mine do. Mind you, they're predators. So in their evolution, they, um, they don't have to be as aware of what's going on in their environment to stay safe, to stay alive. Horses in their evolution do. And the other piece with horses is that if you look at the history of how horses and people have worked together, you know, we've used horses for transportation, for um, plowing fields, for taking us into war. And so there is this deep historical um, relationship that people have with horses, even if the our participants don't have a history, there is this sort of um, people talk about, wow, they're so strong and gentle at the same time. They're so majestic, but um, warm and kind. And there's these juxtapositions and there's this curiosity of how am I going to be in relationship with them that's really um, beautiful to watch and unfold. I believe that. I do. I'm 99% certain that here in my hometown of Brentwood, we have a program that is for mm-hmm. autistic people and working with horses. And I don't know very much about that program because that's not my my realm. It's not my wheelhouse. But I can. It's interesting because I'm I'm hearing the correlations between the two different programs, and I. It's now yeah. it's making me want to check them out. Just yeah, so maybe time. walk through the research piece of it because that's where you know we have these hunches and these feelings and and the what we see in these community-based programs or what we've seen in our years of working with horses. But what is exciting for us is that we've been able to quantify that and and replicate it in a research setting. So I think it's important for you to hear what we've measured and what we've found. There's there's science behind it, Jennifer. You're right. We saw the horses helping all these other populations, children with autism and veterans with PTSD and teens at risk and all these different groups horses have worked with. And we thought, well, we know the magic they provide in our own personal lives working with people living with dementia all day. 
It's really an, a way that you can get centered again. And so we thought, let's take that magic and put it with this population. And little did we know it hadn't been done before. We just thought it would be cool. So when we took it to, to Stanford, they thought, well, we weren't, it wasn't such a crazy horse project like we like to call it. It was really based on some science. So they helped us with the, finding the measures of what we look at the person living with the disease as well as the care partner. And then we measured different measures between stress and burden, anxiety, and feelings of social support, behaviors, and sleep, of all things. We thought, well, sleep, we're not sure, but there's certainly a lot of research tied back into sleep. And so with that, we just uh, presented our poster session last week, as I was talking to you about and uh, our data's come in. We've had 88 people between the two sites of Stanford and UC Davis. So we took what our original findings were at Stanford, and then we moved them over to UC Davis to look at two different sites, two different groups of horses. No control group, per se, but at least we had that start. And we found in the measurements, after looking at you know, 44 people living with dementia, 44 people with uh, care partners, so 88 total, that we had a significant difference in for the care partner, as you're asking, in depression. So in a 15-hour intervention without any medication and being outside the horses and very specific curricula that we follow, that we've developed uh, to build confidence with individuals, we were able to realize a significant difference in depression, burden, and I know you do all your shows on this, and improved sleep. And sleep, so three out of five measures changing in a research study is pretty, pretty significant. That's, what they, that's their words. That's, that's wonderful. Usually you see maybe one or two things, but we have three. Three things after 15 hours, so I think that's much better than a magic pill that we've been waiting for for a long time. And that was what started Paula and I on this journey. We work with this population every day. We're not seeing a lot of changes over the 30 years we've been doing it. Why not look at something different and trying it different? So, and then the p- people with the impairment, we had both mild cognitive t- impairment. Okay, so anyway, the person with impairment, we saw, we didn't see as, we've seen differences, but not to the significance of what they're measuring. But we definitely saw um, a lot of improvement in, for instance, verbal fluency, which we're not measuring where a person would come in very quiet and, and self-contained, self-conscious. And then by the you know, week by week, we just saw them talking and they're comfortable and they weren't afraid to share things. And we've had people say to us, you know, this is a place I've never felt so accepted before or loved and, and supported. We've seen changes in verbal posture. It's been pretty amazing what, what we've seen. And so we want to look at the data a little bit differently and see if, you know, maybe there's a, a, a end point of what their diagnosis is. So if they're in um, mild cognitive impairment and early stage versus a little bit later in the disease process, we might have different outcomes. But at this point, we have significant out- outcomes that are noticed by the research world, which was our intention to have scientific evidence-based data behind the program so that will be taken seriously and perhaps someday insurance will pay uh, for families and they write on their prescription, you know, go spend time out at the connected horse stable. 
because it, horses are so impactful for our society. The other key message point is in the horse world, horses are really not of use in the sport world after age 15 to 20. And yet I have a 30 some year old horse in my backyard. Paula's horses are older. And so the older horses and older people really resonate with us. I did not know horses lived that long. What, how? Oh yeah. And Arabians, I have one of those. They live to be 40. Wow. I thought that was, yeah. I thought. But, but horses want purpose too. You know, I think we talk about, um, individuals wanting to have a purposeful and meaningful life and and so do horses so do our animals and so we feel like that is um an additional benefit that we're really helping to reestablish the identity of horse of horses in our society that's really cool i never thought about it that way i guess the the only other thing i add to what Nancy was talking about, and again, there's so many things we wanted to measure, and we're not researchers by by training, so we, um, you know, you, you take certain, you know, the small chunk of what we felt like we could measure, but because we're so unique that we have the care partner and the person living with dementia doing the program together, um, we are really focused on the relationship because we feel like, and you live this every day, that, that having this disease as part of, of who a person is, it really impacts the whole family. And the person that's identified as this care partner or family members that are identified as care partners, they're on a journey together. And if we can help everybody find a place and find tools and find opportunities to have joy and connection together, then that's a beautiful thing. So um, that building and strengthening that relationship so people are activated to have hope in this journey and to realize that there will be moments and days of joy and that you can continue to live and you can continue to try to do new things, then we've done our job. Right. And they're not going to just take the diagnosis and wait in the corner. They're really going to live with this diagnosis and not be segregated and be able to be out in community and doing things that are important and to do something with their loved one. The couples tell us, you know, I'm in love with my husband again. This is wonderful. We can do things together. I mean, I don't know how else you can do that by being, except being active and doing something you love and something new that really helps bond that relationship no matter what it is. Well, being part of society, doing, learning something new and being out in the fresh air, although I know horse farms aren't always so fresh smelling, <laughs> are all beneficial like yeah. to your brain. <laughs> so yeah. I think as you guys go forward, you might see... Um, What's the right wording? You might see that it's slowing down the progression of disease in some some of the people, some of the diagnosed people. Well, what we've seen, Jennifer, is that all the research points to a lot in lifestyle. And UC Davis will be starting the pointer study here, which is a $3 million grant for looking at lifestyle people in their midlife before they perhaps would show signs of dementia. And so what we see is people take, they start using their bucket list. They, they go on a trip, they eat better, they exercise, they, they really take an, 
um, direction, self-direction in their course. And they do it together. So it's like, yes, we're going to stop eating sugar. We're going to, you know, try to sleep more. We're going to do all these things and they do it together. And, and that's what Paul is speaking of the activation part that is so amazing that I don't know what else would, what could do that. So we affectionately call it a support group, since you know what support groups are, on steroids. Because after leading support groups for so many years, now see that it's an activation that would normally take months for someone to do. It happens in just a few short sessions. And we think that's one of the most beautiful things that comes out of these workshops. Well, tell me... And, and the outcomes are all different. You know, so whatever the person needs um it it almost magically just happens you know and so we have our curriculum but we as because part of our work is to train facilitators to do this kind of work so that we can spread it across the country and so we have our program and a big piece of it is you are not an instructor you do not hold or measure what an outcome is going to be your job as a facilitator is, of course, to keep the horses and the participants safe, but really to coach um, and encourage people to engage with the horses through the, through the curricula and allow it to unfold as the way it's supposed to unfold. And it is really hard for us as human beings not to be so goal-oriented and outcome-oriented to just let it be and be in the moment is um, it's a certain kind of person who can can do this work. And so we're also, in addition to doing these workshops with um, care partners and people living with dementia, we're also, we've also developed a training protocol so that other bonds and facilitators can learn from us and learn from our research so that they can also do it. And, um, and, and so we spend a lot of time talking about getting out of your own head and getting out of your own outcome and letting people get what they need uh, without you having to tell them what's right or wrong. That makes sense. So I was going to say, tell, walk me through how the workshops go so that people understand what it is that you're doing with the couples. A lot of people don't have a lot of experience with horses or it's in their memory from when they were a child or what have you. So we just try to get them comfortable around the horses at first, and we go through a lot of safety protocols. But one of my favorite exercises is, you know, go see there's six horses here. Pick a horse that you're most attracted to. What happens? Stand by the fence, see what happens. And then we come back and debrief and talk about that, and then pick a horse you're not so attracted to. It wasn't one you noticed right away. And then see what happens. And then we talk about it because we had one gentleman who said, oh, no, everyone loves my wife. Everyone goes to my wife. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, it's really distressed as a care partner. And horses, they're not going to come to me. And we stood there with them and said, just be still, be here, be present. And three horses walked over to him and he started to cry. And he looked at me and said, in all my years in the military, I wish I had learned this a long time ago. Now I can use this tool with my wife. He happened to be very high up in the military. And he, he realized that the energy he was putting off, you know, affects his wife, affects the horse, affects a lot of things. And that's, 
one of the exercises we teach them about just really communicating non-verbally. What are you communicating with? And many people say that to us. That's, oh my gosh, one gentleman said, I've learned how to be a better husband from this process. I've learned how to listen. I've learned how to be present. Um, one said, it took me a, it took a horse to make me a better husband. That sounds like a t-shirt you need to put in your merch shop. I know. We, we might have to do that one, Paula. But um, it, it's really amazing. I mean, we have all these steps that build their confidence. I mean, we have to really measure each group and see where they're going. And sometimes we can go in a different direction. But for the most part, we have, you know, very set steps that we do to have them grow sequentially. That makes sense. And this is non-riding. So once they've gotten their horse and they're acquainted might be the right word. And they've realized that their nonverbal communication is extremely important. Then, then what do they do? They don't just stand there and stare at each other. I'm assuming. No, they, they, they walk the horses, they pet the horses, they clean their hooves. We're always surprised. Paula, you want to talk about that? Right. Well, I mean, I think the idea, um, one of my favorites is after we do over the fence and sort of move through the progression, we um, move into grooming and um, it's this giving and receiving of care. And so you have, you're up, up close and personal with a horse and you're being able to provide this opportunity to take care of this horse. Um, and the, the, tactile piece of it is really um is really important and people spend a lot of time on grooming and horse people one of our least favorite things to do is clean a horse's hooves. but the idea for many of our participants this idea that they can work with a horse to get them to lift their foot lift their hoof and clean their hoof and put it down and the collaboration that it takes to be able to do that is um it feels um, purposeful. It feels like they're giving something of real importance to the horse, and it feels like they succeeded in something. And so we see that over and over again because the horse is, you know, twelve hundred pounds, and if they don't, if that horse doesn't want to lift his hoof, he's not going to lift it. And so it takes this collaboration and this negotiation to be able to do it. Same with leading. We usually end with. Um, some sort of gratitude connection with the horse. So you start in the very beginning where you're just doing over the fence and the horse may not come up to you, maybe just observing what the horse is doing in the herd. And we typically end with what we call an at-liberty gratitude session where a horse is let loose in, in, an, in an arena or some type of pasture and participants come up and, um, and greet the horse. So the horse sometimes comes up to them and they negotiate around how are we going to say goodbye. And sometimes the participants walk and the horse follows. Sometimes there's big hugs that happen, um, nuzzles. It just really depends on those connection with the, with the horses. It's, like I said, it's different each time, but you go from not being sure about how to interact with this horse and do I pet him? Is he going to bite me? Is he going to step on my feet? To being in a pasture with a horse with no halter, nothing on, just you and this horse being part of the herd. And so the the confidence and connection that happens through these three to four short weeks to be able to do that um, 
it's hard to explain. Nancy and I keep trying to figure out how we're going to explain it. We worked on a pretty good video that sort of rolls it out in a storytelling way, but it is um, beautiful and empowering and gives people this sense of, of hope and a different way of looking at their life situation. And overcoming fear. They're overcoming fear. A lot of it, fear of what is, lies ahead of them and this journey through whatever diagnosis of dementia they have, fear of the horse, fear of a lot of things comes out and building their confidence is just beautiful to watch them embrace the journey they're going on with their loved one, as well as just their own life. How are they going to handle things? How are they going to get through what's ahead of them? So it teaches real concrete skills to the care partner that will help them in their journey. I'm just a horse not lifting its foot. Well, maybe we need to come back later. Mom doesn't want to shower. Maybe we need to come back later. You know, these are things that we already teach in, in our field to uh, care partners, of professional care partners, but teaching it with the horse is really much more impactful with the family because they, they mirror what they're doing. Now that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Just... I'm, I'm very- I also think that care partners realize that the person that they came with can do a lot more than they think. In, in our professional life, we balance managing risk and managing personal rights all of the time. And, and unfortunately, in the society, sometimes we err on the side of managing risk. Um, and so... This program, it's like you trust me to interact with this large animal, and I'm doing it, and I'm doing fine, and all of us are around to help provide that safety net, but we want you to try new things. And that's a, that's a sort of aha for the care partner who can get into this role of I need to be protector. And, and to some extent, yes, you do need to be the protector, but you also can try new things. And you can let um, the person that you love try new things as well. And, and the care partner may hover a little bit. And you might know that, you know that feeling, Jennifer. They, you hover a little bit because you're unsure. And then one of our other favorite things is when, say, the gentleman says to his wife, here, honey, hold my cane that she's running behind him every minute. Don't forget your mm-hmm. cane. Don't forget your cane because you want to make sure someone's safe and walking. And I'll hold my cane. I'm going to lead this horse. I'm going to be a man again. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to be who I am. And they see them differently. And it's just the most beautiful thing to witness. I believe that. Cause I know, you know, getting my mom from her residence out to the car to wherever we go for our little adventures, which if you're not following mm-hmm. me on Instagram, you're missing all those cool little videos I make every week. little plug for that. And there are days when I think, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know if this is worth it. And then when we're done and she's telling me, oh, I had a really nice day. And I, I don't hear that most of the time. But about three weeks ago, she said, I had the best time and I really appreciate it. And I love you. And I have not heard any of those words. Um, yeah. I never heard appreciation growing up or as a young adult when we worked together. Mm. Um, I mean, I did hear, I love you, but I haven't heard, I love you in a long time. And that was just, that was a really beautiful. Yeah. And I'm sure I'll remember that day. Um, I, we went to the, there's a 
city-owned water park. It's not like a water world or one of those crazy places with all the big fast slides. They're mostly pools with waterfalls and some tube slides. And it was nice because it's flat walk surface. And then, like I say, we, we basically sit in the shade right on the edge of the sidewalk. And she just, we were close to a pool, a shallow pool for the little ones, which is what she loves to watch. And we watched the moms with their little kids. And I was reminiscing when my daughter was little. My daughter's almost 28. And I'm sure that was probably what was going on with my mom. And she loves to watch little kids. So it was just, overall, it was a really good day. And mm-hmm. I got a really nice bonus at the end, which I don't always, I rarely get, actually. But as listeners know, she's in the ender, ender stage. Oh, that's great grammar. She is in the end stages, the later stage of Alzheimer's. So Well, and that's so beautiful because that's what we're trying to do. We're evoking emotional memory, which is still intact in the brain. The scientists will tell you that. And, and we're evoking this emotional memory that brings back the verbal fluency, the words that you heard that you so treasure to hear, the connection between the pair, the couple, the brother and sister, whomever it is. And it it's just something that doing this activity together helps. But now we also have science behind it that actually shows it does have an outcome. It does help. And it is something outside of the pharmacy. Which I'm all for. Very much a believer in the holistic care for everything as much as possible. I mean, I'm not crazy. Like I do realize that the pharmaceuticals are important, but they haven't found any of that that works for Alzheimer's and dementia. And it's very fascinating to see how in the last few months there's been a lot more research analysis. I'm not sure if that's the right word coming out saying, oh, it might be lifestyle and you need to try these things. And, you know, and obviously working with the horses is a little bit of lifestyle. And I like how it's not just an activity like what I'm doing with my mom, but they're also benefiting. Each person is benefiting, but as a care partner, you know, learning how to communicate non-verbally, which I'm an artist. Do you think that'd be easier for me? It's not. (laughs) It's, I would, you know, like I said earlier, I wish these things had been around when my mom was first diagnosed because maybe she would have done less denial. Then, you know, that would be my goal is for people to say, Hey, yeah, I have a, I have a disease and here's things I need to do to progress in the best way possible with this disease. Yeah, and I think that's really important that that this disease is real. It's an awful disease. Um, we need as many researchers as possible looking for a cure, but it doesn't have to be 100% of who you are. And that's what we're really, really focused on is that um, you can still live, you can still try new things, you can still be who you are and have this disease. And so we're not trying to whitewash that it really isn't that bad, but that while you're alive and while you're on this journey, let's do everything that you can to still continue to live with the quality of life that you want. And if we can start people early on this path, which is why we've targeted folks right away from diagnosis on from MCI or early stage dementia of some sort, we might be able to help that trajectory, you know, 
We're hoping that it will build the relationship to get through it because you know it gets tough. You know that personally. And so perhaps it will be something you can reflect upon that would, would help you on those difficult days. Well, I would think, you know, because at this point where my mom is at, who she is is very much a person with Alzheimer's. There is still that aspect of, yes, she's a mother and a grandmother. Not that she remembers that, but I do. And thinking back to when I knew she had a problem, because I don't know, I think it's on the website, but my maternal grandmother and my maternal great-grandmother also had no memories at the end of their life. So this is not our first go-around. But when my mom was starting to have memory issues, and she was saying, well, I don't want to end up like my mother. And it was like, well, murder is illegal, so I don't know what you expect me to do. I started having to do things in our business to mitigate her issues. You know, she would take orders from clients and not write down due dates or directions. And one day I got a phone call from a really good client who pretty much blew off my ear with language I'd never heard her use. And I was like, whoa, 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 time out. Tell me everything you've said to mom and I will make sure it gets done right because my mom was not capable. So even in the earlier stages, she was getting treated like somebody with memory loss instead of a person who had a memory issue that could still do a lot of things because she was very capable. I have a hard time remembering back to when she didn't have memory issues. And, you know, after talking to you guys, I'm like, man, I really wish I'd learned some of this stuff 15, 20 years ago because then I wouldn't have treated, you know, I mean, it was, hopefully she wouldn't have been in denial and I wouldn't have had to treat her like a person with memory loss that needed to be supervised so she didn't take orders and not write down directions or tell somebody something that was incorrect. And, you know, and I always try to do it really subtly. And so when you're saying, you know, there these people that are in the early stages are something more than their disease, it's like, I almost feel guilty because that is not what my mom experienced. Well, don't, please don't feel guilty because these are things that we're all learning every day. And you walk in the care, in that shoes of being a care partner and you're the expert. Mm -hmm. There's no experts. We're all learning. We're all learning every day. And it really depends on the individual. And so we individualize our program based on the people that we're serving at that point. And we, our ultimate hope is that we will have this in every barn, in every opportunity. So people that aren't in Northern California or where there's a lot of resources, maybe they're in the middle of Montana or something, mm -hmm. they will have these resources available to them on an ongoing basis to learn some of these skills. And many of the people who have been in our workshops want to keep taking it over mm -hmm. and over because they just enjoy it so much and they get so much out of it for the relationship. So if we can help heal that relationship a little bit on this tough journey, then we've done our job. And that's just that mission is so beautiful. It just, it touches my heart and not, you know, not a lot of guests touch my heart quite that well. So sorry, past guests. <laughs> We're very genuine. This was started out of our own passion. We had to raise money. We put our own money in. We spent years trying to develop this out of our dream that this would be for everyone, everywhere, in other countries, wherever horses are such a vital part of our life. We built our country on them. We built, as Paula said, they're every part of our lives. 
And it's something they can still do as many, many people don't even had a horse before. I've been around a horse. So what a new opportunity for them. And what a new opportunity for older horses and older people. I love the older horses and older people, because I don't know, that just, that just has such a feel good connection in itself. Yeah. Did you want to say something, Paul? And, well, I was just, what's coming to my mind as we're talking about this, we have so many stories, but did one participant who said, I really want to take something back with me that I can remember about this experience. And it goes back to what Nancy was talking about, this emotional memory that stays with us, even if we can't verbalize it. In our body, there is this emotional trigger and attachment. And so that whole day she was just really in tuned with the horses and horses have really big eyes in, in proportion to the rest of their, their face. And she locked into this horse's eyes and just stared. And she said, I feel like we were looking into each other's soul. Like there was this complete acceptance of each other and gratitude for each other because she was so grateful for what this horse was giving and the horse was so grateful what she was giving back because it is this older horse that is no longer doing dressage riding or hunter jumper riding or racing around the track um and the the reciprocal respect of of this human in this horse, it was almost like we allow people to take pictures. We have a photographer that comes to our workshops and we're like pushing her away. It's like, no, this is their private moment. And it was, it was almost like everything else was standing still because it just like locked in eye to eye of we will both remember this. And it's, it's just those things um, keep us going when we have to write another check or um, we're like, what are we going to do next? We got it. We're never going to be able to retire because we want to make this happen. When the, those kinds of things happen, we're like, we're on the right track. This is this is what we're meant to do. It's definitely an awesome program, and I'm glad Linda mentioned it. And then I found you on Instagram, so I get to see all those beautiful pictures that the photographer takes, and they're they're very touching too. It's a real genuine, intimate moments that you're seeing and that it builds intimacy with the couple as well. I mean, we see them become more affectionate. You see um, them just come back together. It's really a beautiful thing. So we have a lot more to measure. We have a lot more research probably to do or someone else that's smarter than us can do it uh, because we know that we're really on to something that could help people. And we've seen it evidenced with over, we've served over a hundred people so far and we want to continue doing that. So with your opportunity you've given us today, Jen, it's really helpful because we, we can get the word out there about the workshops that we have in Northern California right now. And as we plan to expand them. Well, I have listeners in 48 of the 50 States don't know what's with, I think it's Wyoming and Alaska. I know it's Alaska, but picturing the contingent 48 states, I got to, it's not Montana, it's Wyoming. So we got There's a lot of horses there. Yeah, so we got horse country <laughs> there. Maybe we'll get you into Wyoming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I have listeners all over the world and, you know, Brazil and the United Kingdom and Canada and Australia and countries that 
I cannot remember off the top of my head, but lots of them. Not a lot of people in each of those countries yet, but you know, it's it definitely should spark an idea. Maybe somebody else has got older horses and they're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with these guys. And now they've got a, a, a solution, an idea. And just. Well, the one thing we do want to clarify that we do these at stables or riding centers because safety is of utmost importance. So people ask, hey, come do it. I have horses in my backyard. We can't really do it like that. We need a certain amount of horses and we need certain setup and safety protocols, et cetera, uh, in order to roll that out, at least at this point. And um, so we just want to make sure, because we have a lot of people when I we've had calls, can I donate my horse? Mm -hmm. We wish, we, we don't have that. We want that horse to go to a good home. Or can you do it here? I have two horses. It's a little bit different because it is a set program and it, it does have specific uh, measurements that we're, we're looking for to get to that point. Well, I, I hope this sparks people contacting you so that they can start or expand your program into their area. It's a better way of putting that. Thank you. Thank you. Jennifer. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Paula. And I know you have to go. Or you needed to go about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so thank you for hanging in there with us. Sure. And all of this, all of your information will be in the show notes. So people can just click on the hot link and go right to your website and learn more about the two of you and the rest of the people that are connected with your program. And they can buy cute shirts. And I like the one, the suggestion about the, it took a horse to make me a better husband. I definitely think you should consider that one. <laughs> Maybe yeah, that's good. Thing. That's going to be on for Christmas. <laughs> awesome. Christmas <laughs> oh, that's or husband or wife. Or wife. Right. Well, one of these. Yes, exactly. And there's also a donate button for people who might be able to do that. That would be great. Thank you. We appreciate donations. Thank you so much. And thank much. you for the work that you're doing. I know that for you it yes. comes from, from your place of passion for your personal experience and, and a legacy for your mom and for your family. Um, but it, it does take people like you to keep talking about what we're going to do in terms of uh, programs and compassion for families and people with dementia. So um, hats off to you too. Thank you. Thank you for what you do, Jennifer. You're welcome. And I appreciate the talk today and you guys have a fantastic rest of the week. So that's it for another week. Thanks for tuning in. A little housekeeping. You definitely should be following me on social media. I'm working on the YouTube page. And by the time you hear this, it might actually be worth checking out. That would be under Fading Memories Podcast on YouTube. Also, Facebook is Fading Memories Podcast, and Instagram is Alzheimer's Podcast. I've left all those links in the show notes, and I hope to see you guys online. And as always, I'll be in your ears again next Tuesday.